All right, we are in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. Uh, and uh, these verses are the continuation of Jesus trying to prepare the disciples for the fact that he shortly will leave them and he recognizes that they will be in despair uh, and they will be going through trials uh, and will be sorrowing. And Jesus is trying to bring it all home to them so that they can prepare uh, for this contingency. And so, Gospel of John chapter 14, beginning in verse 7. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And so what a magnificent set of verses here uh, that Jesus says. And how, what a great blessing that the Apostle John was able to remember this and write it all down, uh, the Holy Spirit effectively being a tape recorder. Uh, and so that, that he was able to write this down so that we would actually be able to see the very words and the context of Jesus' lessons. And so uh, this is a request Philip makes that many of us can identify with. I, I want to see God. I want to hear God. I would like to know how God exists Jesus, I need you to show me this. Show us the Father and that will be enough. And yet Jesus is saying to them, guys, you've seen the Father. I and the Father am one. I, I am God himself. When you see me, I fully represent God in, in every possible way. And so Jesus is preparing them. There are difficult times coming, difficult times ahead. And you need to be able to know where God is. You need to be able to know how to see God. Um, and so... Jesus is bringing up this subject in a way that they would remember forever. And he's indicating to them that they need to know God in a most personal way. This is a significant part of the teaching of, of Christ. Merely belonging to an organ, a religious organization or participating in uh, religious rituals is not enough. It's not enough. You need to know God in a poignant personal way. That's how God is. And so when Philip asked this question, when Philip posed this question to Jesus, he was thinking of those Old Testament examples uh, where we are told that certain people, certain people had in fact seen God. The Bible tells us some of those examples. Uh, the Bible tells us that Moses saw some aspect of God. Now what I'm going to tell you is this. That whenever it says that someone in the Old Testament saw God or some aspect of God, they did not actually see God uh, in God's full glory. Because if they had, they would be dead. It's that simple. If they had, 
they would be dead. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. Verse 19, and the Lord said, and this is to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom uh, I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Wow. Okay. That's God. That's the holiness and sovereignty and power of the creator of the universe. And so in all these examples uh, that we're going to talk about, God passes in front. It'll be a shadow. You may be a voice. But you will never actually see God the way God truly is. You won't see that until you pass from this world uh, to the next. Uh, and, and that's very clear. So we see here that, that Moses would see uh, the essence of God, he would see it in a shadow. And I think the, uh, the uh, Ten Commandments was so great in the way that they, they pictured that. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, as you know, it's like a cleft of the rock and suddenly you see the darkening on the wall as the shadow of God goes by. Uh, and, and that great voice, Moses. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, yes, God. And, you know, really. And you understand the, the power uh, and sovereignty of God. And so you see it. And, and there are other examples. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. Elijah. And this is Elijah. He flees because he thinks that his world is collapsing. There's nobody left uh, in Israel worshiping God. He believes he's by himself. Uh, he's despairing, he's forlorn, um, and, and, and beginning with right the first sentence before verse 10. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. Then the Lord said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. How's that? Go out and stand outside right by the mountain, and I'm going to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have broken your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. And God speaks to him and, and gives him confidence to let him know that God would not abandon him. And so what a powerful verse this is when you see how God speaks. Could God have spoken in the earthquake? Of course, it was the power of God that did the earthquake and the fires. And yet God spoke 
in the way that God knew Elijah needed to hear it, in the most beautiful, quiet whisper. Uh, and so you see this in every possible, possible, possible way. Oh, okay. Can we... Hold on, folks. I'm a victim of modern technology. No, it's on, Chuck. It's on. It's on. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll use the mic. Is that better? Is that any better back there? No, that's not any good. All right. So I will speak up. How's that? I'll try, I'll try to speak up as much as I can. The mic is not working. Okay, well, I, I appreciate you telling me that. So, that's good news. It's not working. All right. I look like I'm ready to go into space. All right. Well, that's all right. I knew how to speak up in court. I can do it, so don't worry about it. I'll make sure you hear me. All right? You able to hear me now back there? All right. So, so we'll do this. So, you see this. Uh, and then there's an example also. Um, in the Old Testament, where God uh, spoke to, appeared not only to Moses, uh, but also to the elders of, of Israel. Look at, uh, let me see if I have the citation for that. Uh, Exodus 24. Verse 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Adabu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders, and the Israelites saw God, and they ate and drank. Can you imagine that? I mean, really. Wow. I would say that memory would stay with you the rest of your life. So clearly, God has revealed himself in some ways to some people. Uh, and so the disciples are seeking for, for Jesus to do the same thing to them. We want to see God. We want to see God. But the point is that now that Jesus has come to us, we see God. Jesus is God. Jesus is every bit God. Uh, and and the thing about Jesus is when you see Jesus and when you come to terms with Jesus and you see the love and mercy and justice and caring of Jesus, you understand precisely how God is, what the personality of God is about. And so you could spend three years being in the presence of Jesus and yet, as one of, as one of the 12 disciples, not fully realizing, not fully realizing who he was. And so he's now revealing it to them uh, in the most personal way as to who he is. Now, I, I, I wanted to show you the difference between seeing something and believing something. The world has an expression. Seeing is believing. If I see it, if I'm from Missouri, I see it, I'll believe it. But if I don't see it, I'm not believing it. That's the world. But you see, that's not the expression of, of us as Christians. That's not how God wants us to act. Rather, the premise is inverted, and the premise really is believing is seeing. When you believe in God, when you believe in Jesus, you will see God. You will see his power. 
uh, in every possible way. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Chuck. All right. God bless you, brother. Uh, and so John chapter 20. This is now the empty tomb. And so what, what we're going to see here is the difference between actually seeing and really seeing. And there's a Greek word that's used here, effectively. There's a, a Greek word used three times. Uh, and the Greeks had a different word for different kinds of seeing. And if you read the original Greek translation of this, you would see those three words unveiled in this passage, recognizing that there is a different kind of seeing, beginning with verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, and that's John, started for the tomb. The tomb is now empty. This is resurrection morning. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and reached the tomb first. That's because he was many years younger than Peter. All right? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. I want to emphasize first the first word of seeing. That is looked in. He looked in. He looked in, and he saw the strips of linen lying there. But he didn't go in. So that's the first kind of seeing, meaning I've observed I've observed. There's no belief yet. There's no, no coming to terms of what this is. It's the mere acquisition of something in your sight line. I've seen it. I've observed it. Then continuing. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linens. He saw it also. It's a secondary kind of sight now that the Greeks have used, and it is a word meaning saw and was puzzled. You got it? Saw and was puzzled. There's still no cognizant belief going on yet. I'm puzzled. I've observed, saw, and now I'm puzzled. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. And that's the third expression of, of seeing in the Greek word, uh, meaning saw and came fully to terms of understanding it and believed it. It is the fullest sense of the word saw being able to take it in and understanding immediately what had happened. That their Savior had been delivered from death, had turned off the cloak of death, had let the chains of death put it beside him, and folded neatly the burial cloths. And those of you who, who know this story and know Jewish tradition, you know that if you, you were uh, uh, invited uh, to, a, to a house for a, a ceremonial dinner, and, and you had intended to come back because the hospitality was so superb, you would, in fact, fold the clothes, fold the napkin, fold it. And that meant you were a great host. I'm going to come back. 
Uh, and that's exactly how these linens were, were reposited. And so all of this, all of this was taken in. And you see two men coming to terms with the same event over a short period of time and eventually coming to full belief. That is why believing is seeing. You see the understanding of it. Believing is seeing. Uh, and so you begin to understand what God is saying through Jesus. You want to see God? You want to come to terms with God? You have to believe in me. I am God. Every essence of God, the most personal aspect of God, you're going to see, see it revealed through Jesus. And Jesus had indicated this earlier, uh, that unless people saw miraculous signs and wonders, they might never believe. They might never believe. That's the way the world is. Oh, I need to have some big miracle. I need to have some big event that would cause me to believe. And yet God never intended that. God never intended that. God knew that the most personal, poignant kind of relationship in Christianity was when we believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. When you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, suddenly all these issues, all these questions that you have about who God is are all answered. They're all answered. Uh, and you see that. Believing uh, is seeing. And so Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples about the fact that, that faith works in two ways. Uh, the first part of faith is that people come to, come to faith because they believe in his works. Uh, they, see, they see the work of Christ. They see the miracle of Christ. But then the more poignant kind of thing is that they ultimately come to accept Jesus for who Jesus is. And when we accept Jesus for who Jesus is, it's not the deeds it's not the miracles. It's the savior of humanity. It's the, it's the one who died on the cross for us. And now there's um, a very poignant lesson here, beginning in verse 12. This is also a very much misunderstood teaching, and I hope I can do it justice today. Verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. All right, so now you're saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, let me back this up. Is Jesus saying I'm going to do greater things than Jesus? I'm going to take the loaves and the fishes? I'm going to be able to multiply them and feed 5,000? I'm going to walk on the water? I'm going to be raising people from the dead? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is that what Jesus thought were greater things? And I'm going to submit to you that that's not what Jesus thought were greater things. Jesus didn't put that much great weight on the miracles. Jesus did not. It was the salvation from sin. It was life and eternal. It was evangelism. It was conversion. That was the greatest thing that Jesus did. And if you study this and you study church history, you will know this, that for three years, Jesus didn't travel more than about 30 miles from his home. And at his death, there were no more, according to theologians, than 500 believers. You got that? 500 believers. It's only after the day of Pentecost after Jesus left, a couple months later, uh, at the day of Pentecost, that the first, you hear, 3,000 people came to faith on that day. And so it went from 500 
to 3,000. But here's the amazing thing. Here is the amazing thing. That within 300 years, every single pagan temple in the entire kingdom of Rome would be shut down. How do you like that? Every pagan temple under the auspices of Rome would be shut down because Rome itself, this, uh, the leader of Rome, Constantine, would become a Christian. And so you see the impact. So what does it mean? It means that Jesus recognized after he passed, after he left, the Holy Spirit would come and we, as his followers, would be in a position to spread the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we would do that, we would be involved in bringing hundreds and hundreds of millions of people to God through Jesus Christ. That is the greater things that God was speaking about. Not the miracles, not the raising of the dead, but rather the ability to speak about Jesus to a world that was lost. Uh, and I will prove this to you through uh, Jesus' own words. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And this is when the, uh, the 70 are sent out. 72 are sent out. The disciples are sent out to go into the world. And Jesus tells them to go out and find, find the righteous man, go into that house, spread the gospel. And so in verse 17, the 72 returned to Jesus with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How do you like that? How's that? That pretty good? We were casting out demons. The demons bowed before us when we said your name. How's that, Jesus? We're amazed at your power. Look what Jesus says. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You want to rejoice? Don't worry about the miracles. Don't worry about the power of demons bowing before you or the fact that you could throw out snakes and that nothing will, will harm you physically. Don't, don't raise that up. Instead, talk about the fact that through your, your ability to give yourself to Jesus Christ, that you are bringing the life preserver of the world. You're bringing conversion and hope to a lost world. That's what Jesus said was important. That's why these are the greater things. Very much misunderstood in the world. So many people really have, have, have messed this theology up. Amen. And so you need to understand this. That's what greater things are. That's why Jesus said you do greater things. 500 people have been converted at the time Jesus goes to heaven. And look, look at the mass of humanity that has given their hearts uh, to Christ. Yeah, even now. And you know even today, as each and every one of you have the ability to go out and you speak to a lost world, you know what it is if God uses you and you're able to bring somebody to Christ. You know that feeling, that God has given you the privilege to do that. That's, that's the greater things. That's what God wants you to focus on. There's another passage that, that, that speaks on this issue as well. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. 
Another example of this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misread that. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Please excuse me. Sorry, I just wanted to see if you were able to go through your Bible. And you are. You are. I'm very, I'm very pleased that you, you're able to do that. That was a test that we had going here. Mark chapter 2. This is where they're going to open the roof of the house and bring the paralyzed man down. Power, powerful presentation. Jesus is going to heal a man who is paralyzed in every possible way. Uh, follow along in verse 1. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So get the sense of this. He's in this house, and the house is completely filled. There's no room at all for anybody to move. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. Can you get a sense for this? I mean, they, you know, this is a story I read as a kid, and, you know, as a kid it goes, so they opened the roof up, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, they opened the roof up. You get it? There's a million people inside the house, and all of a sudden, oh, my, they're opening the roof up. You get a sense of, of when God inspires people. Uh, how they're not going to be stopped. And you see this. It's the power of God. And so they open the roof up uh, above Jesus, and after digging through it, and I like that, because it's not just like, oh, they had to take one board up. No, they had to dig their way through the roof. All right? It was many layers of thatch uh, during that period of time. Digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. Your sins are forgiven? Oh. Now, what do the skeptics in the crowd, the religious elites say? Okay? Because now you're seeing the heart of God versus the heart of man. What is the greatest thing? The greatest thing is your sins are forgiven. You have life eternal. I have forgiven your sins. Now, some teachers of the law, I love that, the Pharisees and the scribes, were sitting there thinking to themselves. And I love how the Holy Spirit actually tells you what's on people's minds, even though they may not have articulated. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Amen, brother. You got that right. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? By the way, you've got to love Jesus. You understand? You don't have to articulate what's, what's on your mind. Jesus reads your heart. You understand it? He reads your heart. He knows what's on your heart. And so if there's something on your heart that's not right, you need to repent. God, wash this thought away from me. Lord, forgive me. And yet, sometimes when you find that you can't pray because you're burdened so much, it's overwhelming. Jesus reads your heart at the same time. It goes both ways. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, 
walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You got that right. You got that right. But you see how Jesus is weighing the equities? Weighing the equities? Giving you a lesson. What's more important? The miracle? The miracle? The power? No! No, the most important thing to God was the conversion of the heart. The forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus said you will do greater things. That's the greater and so when you go around thinking, well, I don't really understand this word, this lesson from Jesus, because I don't see the, the gifts, the miracles being done today uh, greater than what Jesus did. And you're right, Jesus did the greatest. But the evidence, the power of God is still on exhibit. But the point of the fact is that the real miracle now is that God can heal a fallen human race. That's the real miracle. And he can allow you to be part of it. He can, allow, he can allow you to be able to deliver the gospel uh, the way he wants to deliver the gospel. And so you understand this. You understand and you see it, uh, how, how, how Jesus works. And so it's so poignant. And so you see how the work of God has been multiplied millions of times since Jesus left this world. All right, since Jesus left this world, because he said he would send an empowerer. He would send the Holy Spirit, and in the, the weeks to come, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, what it means, uh, and how God is using that uh, to, to impact the kingdom and advance the kingdom of God in so many ways. And so that's when I read that, that within 300 years of the death of Jesus, every pagan temple in the kingdom of Rome was shut down. I was amazed. I was amazed that, that Christianity would travel like that within that short time. And you think about how, how short a time that is in 300 years. And now you look that Christianity has been around 2,000 years. And if you watch the inauguration, uh, if you watch the inauguration, you saw the name of Jesus being uplifted in a way that you have not seen. You have not seen, never mind in eight years, in the last 30 or 40 years, all right? Not just Democrats, Republicans. Nobody uplifted the name of Jesus like that. And so I want to say something. Look, uh, I understand that there are all kinds of issues with Trump the man. I'm not defending Trump the man, but all I know is that the people that prayed for him that day, the people that he authorized to speak that day, I never saw the name of Jesus uplifted continually during that period of time. And I praise God. I praise God. I praise God. And this is what God expects from us. God expects from us. Listen, when I gave that funeral sermon uh, on Friday, they told me that there were going to be a lot of Jewish people there. A lot of Jewish people. So what do you do when you hear that? You go, ooh, wait a minute, let me... Oh, I got to make some changes here. I got to make, make some changes here. This, I gotta, this is not going to be politically correct. I'm going to be insulting a lot of people. Oh, no, you don't say that at all. In fact, what you do is you give them back their own Bible. You understand? I spoke about Leviticus 16, what it was required on the Day of Atonement to walk into a Holy of Holy. It's your Bible. Read it. 
Look at it. Look at it and why the high priest, if he didn't atone properly, they would put bells on the bottom of his robe because some of them would be, would be killed right there in front of the Ark of the Covenant because they had not washed properly. They had not pre- repented. This is your God. This is your God. You need to understand it. And so that's how we speak to them. I gave them the words of Isaiah. When Isaiah repudiated their awful sacrifices, their bloodletting, and how God said it sickened him and detested him. I read the words of Isaiah. That's what you do. You don't back off. You love them. But if you truly love them, you need to give them the words of Christ to them. That's what it takes. That's what it means. That's what this is about. That's what God is speaking to you about here. You will do greater things than me. These are the greater things through the power of Jesus Christ, through the grace of Jesus Christ. You will speak these things. You will bring the world to the cross of Jesus Christ. What a lesson this is. And in all of this, he's speaking to his disciples to prepare them for the fact there's bad days coming. There's bad days coming. But in that great words of that black, that black preacher from California, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And that's the message. That's the message. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for the lesson. I thank you for the words you've given us. Lord, as you've empowered us and taught us, Father, how to see God. Seeing it, Lord, knowing that believing is seeing in every way and that you are fully God as we see you in every possible way and knowing what greater works are, Lord, that you've empowered us to do these greater works. Give us the grace and strength to follow in your way and to speak to a lost world that needs to hear these verses. Protect our people this week, Lord. Bring them safely back to continue the study of your word as we put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.